Good afternoon. Welcome to this edition of the Rich Urban Show. I'm your host, Rich Urban, coming to you from historic Harper's Ferry, West Virginia. We bring you news and views from God's point of view. And today we have part seven of the series on absolute sexual ethics. I will be reading from the speech of family rooted in absolute sexual ethics, which is the model for God's absoluteness, peace, and ideal in the global kingdom. And that's a speech by Reverend Sam Young Moon. So today we're very happy to have as our guest, Philip Sharp. So please introduce yourself. Yeah, um, I'm the pastor of the Warrington Church of God here in Warrington, North Carolina. I've been here uh, going on three years now. Uh, before that, I had served uh, 20 years in the Army with uh, three tours to Iraq, uh, originally from West Virginia, uh, but now residing in North Carolina. Uh, my, I have a, a wife and four children. Um, three of them live with me at the home, and one is uh, away from us in Texas, uh, building his own life. Okay, super. All right, great. Well, welcome again. So I'm going to share the screen now, and we'll uh, do a section of the reading as we always do. Ladies and gentlemen, what kind of place is the kingdom of heaven? In brief, the heavenly kingdom is a world overflowing with God's true love. True love is its axis. True love is everywhere in the outward expression as well as in the inward thought. Everyone's life is filled with true love from beginning to end. In the kingdom of heaven, people are born through true love, live in the embrace of true love, and follow the track of true love until the day they pass on into the next world, the spirit world. The kingdom of heaven is a natural world where all people live for the sake of one another. Consequently, antagonism and envy cannot be found anywhere in that world. It is a world that is not governed by money, position, or power. There, the success of every person represents the success of the whole, the likes of every person represent the likes of the whole, and the joy of every person represents the joy of the whole. The kingdom of heaven is a world filled with the air of true love, where everyone breathes true love. Its life throbs with true love everywhere and all the time. The systems of that kingdom are all linked together, through the common membership of God's lineage. There, the whole world and all its people are connected in an inseparable relationship like the cells in our bodies. True love, the love that is God's essence, is heaven's only governing power. Accordingly, God exists also exists for true love. When seeking after the lost ideal of the original family, there should be someone in the position of perfected Adam, someone in the position of Jesus, and someone in the position of the Lord at his second coming. From that starting point, we can establish the family in which God will dwell. In that family, three generations, grandparents, parents, and children will live in harmony. Parents and children should serve and attend the grandparents because they represent the family's ancestors, its historical root. So that ends the reading on the family root and absolute sexual ethics. For today, or what are your initial comments on that? Well, well definitely, um, God is love, and, and to be in the kingdom of God is to be in His presence. Uh, the, the kingdom of God is uh, a place where we will no longer need the sun, nor the moon, nor the stars for light, because He is light as well, and He will be everywhere, all present, absolutely in His presence. Uh, so, definitely, this is a different place than what we understand here. Trying to compare this world to the kingdom of God, it's like apples and oranges, <laughs> trying to gain an understanding 
of what that place would be like by using this as a reference uh, would definitely fall short because, you know, God is uh, a perfect being, perfect in love, uh, absolute light. And to be in his presence, um, you're definitely not going to have the things that we uh, have now that have been mentioned uh, in what you've read there, uh, such as envy and strife and those things that, that cannot exist uh, in his presence. And uh, it's the ultimate destination and the ultimate work of our perfection uh, and the work done through Jesus Christ. Yeah, I agree. I mean, one thing also in the latter part of um, Berman was talking there about the, the family as a, a core basis, you know, in in the kingdom of heaven. Family sets a pattern for living together in harmony. So that, um, wow, I think that's so crucial. What do you think? Uh, I'm not, it would depend on how, um, how that is to be expounded upon. Um, there, there won't be any marriage in heaven and there won't be giving in marriage or any procreation that I'm aware of. And that's what Jesus taught us. Uh, but it will be like, we are one big family in heaven. Uh, we're considered to be like brothers of Christ, sisters of Christ, mm-hmm. brothers and sisters of one another. God is our father and, uh, we're adopted. Is another uh, allegory that's used that we are adopted into the kingdom of heaven. So it's definitely a sense of family uh, in that regard. And and as family, of course, you live in an atmosphere of a loving family. Uh, right. I'm sure some, some may listen to this and be like, yeah, well, if it's like my family, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't have a loving family, but I would definitely say I bet you did. You know, I, I bet you really want a family that is loving, and that is exactly what the kingdom of heaven is going to be. It's going to be that fulfilling love that many people find lacking here on this place. Okay, so that's an interesting point you mentioned. I know you're, what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I, I believe about the no marriage in heaven. It's the right. when Jesus, uh, uh, there was a widow, and you know she had seven husbands. I correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong. And then yeah. she said, "Well, which one will I be with?" And Jesus said. None, none of the above. But actually, so do you? So you think there no, there won't be. Um, you won't be with your wife in heaven, something like that. Well, I'm, I'm sure we would. We'd see each other. I think we would cognitively know each other. Uh, we will know many relations, but the the joy of heaven is not going to be because of that relation. It's going to be because of the relation to God, and we're going to see everyone. I'm not going to hold one person in more regard than another in heaven because that would diminish love for someone else. The only one who gets that extreme love beyond anyone else would be God himself, of course. But it is his love that we have that is extended through to others anyway, uh, in which we would uh, know and love and respect one another. Okay, okay. So, yeah, that's one different thing about, like, in this speech, I don't know if you've taking time to look at the other parts, but mm-hmm. it's talking about the idea that, and it's kind of a unificationist idea, that I think, you know, because I have, of course, heard of the no marriage in heaven, you know, being discussed, and it's kind of a little bit of a conundrum, I, I guess. But in uh, my view, and like the unificationist teaching, then through the blessing of marriage, which is like the sacrament of marriage uh, we believe in, then marriage would continue eternally. I agree with you. There's not, you know, procreation in heaven, but yet those relationships of husband and wife would actually continue. And it actually would be one of the highest 
or maybe the the highest expression of love in that make that relationship being made like godly meaning like changing like it mentions here earlier the common lineage like changing from you of your father the devil john 8 44 to you know god's lineage so that's my belief i mean but feel free to comment and it's okay if we disagree it's yeah. all good you know i like yeah. to discuss things like this right I, I just know that like like the example you gave with jesus you know say a man has more than one wife so he goes to heaven. Who's who's supposed to be the one he has the perfect marriage with? You know, because <laughs> more people, uh, especially nowadays, a lot of people have had more than one spouse. And, yeah. Uh, so if they end up in heaven. <laughs> how are they going to? Who's the one that's going to be the perfect? You know, I know it's complicated even within our own families. <laughs> like I know, you know, yeah. w- w- could be your parents or anybody. But yeah, well, I think the ideal is, you know, like um, you have one spouse, like. You know, I've been married 34 years. I have one spouse, same one I was married to, still married. So, yeah, I mean, your spouse could die. You could possibly remarry. Although I would view that, you know, and it sometimes happens, or your spouse might die very young or something that happened in my family with my natural mother when I was like six. So you could possibly remarry, but I believe that, um, you know, actually your real – True relationship is the one spouse, and presumably, or not presumably, understand me, that would be, you know, you're the spouse that you married, had children with, like that. Well, that's definitely the, uh, that is the perf- the state of perfection God would intend here, that one man, one woman would be in marriage. Um, it's just that gets marred with a sinful world, unfortunately, and like somebody might die early, and uh, and when we look at the teachings of the rest of the New Testament, you have, you know, where if you, you know, if your husband's dead and you wish to remarry, then marry, you know, and it's marriage is encouraged again in some mm-hmm. circumstances. Uh, and it's, I guess it's just an adaptation of what we're dealt with here in a way. Um, as far as carrying that principle into the kingdom of heaven, I don't believe we're given a full revelation uh, from scripture as to how that exactly looks. Um, but there's definitely all nations and tongues gathered in the kingdom of heaven. It mentions that there, So like everyone's included. There's not like a group, not exclude, you know, there's not a group excluded at all. So they're all there. All are singing. I can imagine everyone even singing in different languages. And yet it would come out in such a beautiful expression of worship to God. And, you know, I, I believe there'll be a knowing of who who's gone on before. There'll be those connections from before. Um, but I think that's going to dwarf in comparison to look how amazing this place is and just look how amazing God is and how wonderful God is. And the desire to praise is just going to be like some spontaneous outbreaking all the time. No matter where you go, you just break out and singing a song and dancing. <laughs> well, definitely, you know, it's mentioned in the reading also, it's like, uh, unselfish place so like in the world a lot of people are out for their own benefit and then you have all these hidden things going on but it wouldn't be like that for sure Mm -hmm. well yeah absolutely and and it won't be like a complaining like well i don't like that song let's sing this song or anything like that like you might have now or um you know i don't like that preacher or you know i want to I want this type of seat or, you know, I want to be at this time, that this, everything that is consuming now for some people there, it ain't going to matter. You're going to have yeah. uh, church 24 seven in the presence of God. And, 
and his magnificence is going to dwarf I- anything that on this earth just seems so consuming to us. It's just going to be like a, like shaft just, just burnt up and done away with. And what remains is going to be pure. It's going to be precious. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, one interesting thing, like you were saying, do you think there's a need like in the general Christian community to further clarify or explore the like topic of marriage? As far as it relates to, you know, etern- eternality or because, you know, when I think about St. Paul, you know, I, and you tell me the verse, I'm sorry, I don't remember exactly, yeah. but I do know that he said, you know, hey, it's better to marry than to burn in than life. To burn. Right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's like, okay, well, I don't say that's wrong. But that's right. not a very high view of marriage, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, it may not seem that way, but he's he's talking about a very practical issue within people's lives. And he, he's looking at the reality of how things are going to be. And he views value he values marriage highly. He, uh, you know, I wouldn't say I wouldn't make the claim that, well, Paul didn't like marriage as high as Jesus did. <laughs> I don't think that's uh, a fair assumption. He uh, he's telling them that, you know, this is, you know, this is what happens. You, you're going to go along, but then you're going to want to marry again, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. If your husband's died, go ahead, remarry and continue on. Right. You know, same with the guy. I mean, he actually, he advocates if you can remain sig- single and serve the kingdom of God and you're able to do that, he, he advocated that actually. But you know, if if that's like not in your capacity, it's not held against you. But he's like, it's better to marry than to burn, to set and and burn in your lust yeah. and your rage and your passions, and and you can't, and it's tearing you to pieces and burning inside of you. He's like, well, didn't get married. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so share that with somebody. Yeah. yeah. So I think, uh, yeah, okay, yeah. This this uh, speech and like it, it posits like that Reverend was giving a, a new understanding of marriage as a uh, high the highest sacrament. Now, I'm not saying it's not a sacrament in the church. I know that Catholics is a specific sacrament, and of course, each church, you know, generally has a right of marriage, as far as I know. But nonetheless, and all the more, you do have those kind of conundrums we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. But in in this understanding, like put out here in the rest of this speech, and it's like it's a very high sacrament. In fact, I was just reading in the, you know, uh, some of the scriptures that everyone gave that, you know, when you die and go to heaven, you'll have your wedding garments on and you'll actually make love in the pre- presence of God. And that's a beautiful thing. What's, you know, that's great. But it's not, I think, a common tradition within Christianity. You know what I yeah. mean? Well, it's, it's, um, it's definitely not uh, stated as such. <laughs> There's definitely a marriage supper of the lamb, uh, but that's symbolically representing the joining of his church to his to to him to christ uh, yeah so, that is my analogy so, but well, then you could go ahead i'm sorry yeah well there, there's there's marriage is to be held in a high regard and high view because of some very deep theological connections with it one like we were just talking about the the church is compared as the bride to christ so so marriage is a representation of Christ's church with their Lord Jesus. That, it, that That's how intimate the connection is, the same as between what should be with uh, a man and his wife. 
And also marriage itself is illustrated with that connection of the Godhead in a way, because you, you know, you have the Christ is the head of the man, the hand is and the man is the head of the woman. And there's like this natural order of, of relating with one another uh, as God relates within himself in the Trinity. And there's marriage is not just, Hey, let's get together sort of thing. It's, it's meant to be viewed in, we are representing something divine because when a man and a woman come together, the scripture tells us they become one. Now, where else do you hear that kind of language, right? Right. There's one God, but there's God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But they're one. So, And it's a mystery. So it's, and, you know, marriage is kind of representation of that mystery where hmm. one man and one woman, they come together, but they become one. And so marriage represents more than just who you're with. For the week you know right absolutely well right you could you and you can say practically it is the image of god as you know there's god's of feminine aspect and male aspect or and come mm-hmm. together as make a union and then you you know phys- represent god in the sexual union and actually you may produce right. or do will produce children mm-hmm. which is the only way that i know if you could have children I believe so, so. I mean, yeah, that is an amazing <laughs> image of God. You know yeah. I, mean? I mean, there's a creative power in that union. So, I mean, when you look at, you know, God, the three in one, and I mean, he, he's the creator. He has that creative power. I mean, so so when a man and woman become, come together and they become one, it's almost like they're in a way representing, you know, uh, that great mystery of who God is. Because by themselves, there's no creative power. But when they come together in union in, in a holy marriage, then that's repre- that's a greater representation of what's meant to be. If I mean, if we if we were like just those who follow Christ would just think about like those deep things about what marriage is. Maybe you would re- review a little bit of how you know you, you kind of think about it because you know very, marriage has been viewed in so many different ways now. Basically, it's just the person I want to hang out with. I mean, that's a common view of it, but it right. represents so much more. It's this is you're representing something divine in your life, and that's a huge thing to consider. Yes, I, I agree. You know, God, God is the central focus of it, and you're that's right. You're embodying God in His very nature of love. Mm-hmm. Without the marriage union, I mean, there is agape love, filial love. But ultimately, the core love, I was talking about that with my wife the other day, you know, the core love is, is a sexual union because you cannot have children if you don't have a sexual union. So there's not going to be any filial love. There's not going to be any parent-child love, you know, so that's really a core love. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, um, unfortunately, we, we have found ways to get around the sexual union to actually make children, but uh, you still need the parts of the man and the woman to come together at some point <laughs> in, way, in which uh, yeah. creation can be, can be done. Uh, but yeah, but, but I mean, that's why God made it the way, I mean, why would he take, I mean, he had man, he made man with his own hands out of the clay, breathed life into him. He could have been like, well, I'll make another, I'll make another, you know, or, you know, y'all split in half him. you know, he, you know, he could have used a different method to continuously make more men. Right. But yeah. he decided I need, I need something that's from you. I'm gonna take something from you, and then I'm gonna make 
someone that's somewhat different, but from you. And when you two come together, there's going to be a oneness. There's a reason why he did it that way. He, it wasn't a random. I'll no, I agree. In this way, right? You know, I think that's <laughs> integral to the what yeah. we're talking about in this reading. It's talking about love. So sometimes yeah. we think of love like in an abstract sense, or like you know, I love my neighbors, and that's good. But mm-hmm. actually, to love, you need an object partner, and the real love happens when you know the man and woman come together in sexual union. In fact. And that embodies the nature of God. You know, God should be in that union. Of course, we know that's not the case in a lot of times in the world, but that's what right. it's supposed to be. Well, it is. And, and, and that's what makes marriage a very sacred thing is when that sexual union happened, it's taking place in a manner that God would be pleased with. And it, I mean, it's almost like you're doing it for the glory of God in a way. I mean, one of the, one of the things mentioned in the scripture, I want to say the book of Malachi is uh, that the purpose of marriage was for the procreation of God-fearing children. And so, I mean, there, everything has a point and a purpose in, in why it's put together the way it is. Now, the world can take that and totally dismantle it, rearrange it, make, you know, different goals, different uh, approaches, uh, different ways of making things happen in a marriage or not making it happen in a marriage. But the simplicity of it is, is that as God sees it, he wants a man to find a woman. They become one. They have children. They, they are a God fearing family. And this is a continuous process. Yeah, I, I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. And you touched on another topic. I mean, the fact of, you know, childbearing, there's a crisis now in some countries and I don't know if the U S is too far off, we're, we're not even procreating at the, uh, what do you say, sustenance rate. You know what well, I mean? Yeah. Uh, well, and oddly, this is, this is not the first time in history this has been the case because you've had, um, I believe the Canaanites prior to Israel's invasion had this problem because they would just sacrifice unnecessary children to get rid of them, uh, put them in jars and build houses around them or something. Wow. But, uh, you know, uh, in the Roman Empire, I mean, they were passing laws mandating if you're this age and you're a man, you have to get married and have kids because they were just running out of people. Nobody was wanting to have kids. And, and I think there's an element of when people want to chase pleasure and indulgement and entertainment more, they view family as something that will detract from that. And and we're kind of there now. And, yeah, you're, you're right. In some nations, they're – they didn't think about it back in the days when they started this whole, you know, war on children thing, I guess you could call it. But now they're looking like, how are we going to, how are you going to sustain the next generation to keep, to, you know, to provide for, you know, the elderly and to get, keep the systems going to keep the factories going the schools and where are the people at? Right. And, and I I know there's, there's countries in Europe that are facing this and that's why they've, they've, played with the idea of opening up more immigration for people to come in and whatnot. And it's caused, of course, some tensions or whatnot. um, Yeah. I'd say look at France or countries like that. Mm. Yeah. And uh, so, and they're trying to, they're trying to make everyone be their people, but they got to get them from elsewhere. And then there's this tension over, you know, which culture prevails or whatnot. And that's, that's a different scope than the discussion of this, but you're right. There's, um, there's always these times in history where when men are so lovers, 
they're not they're lovers of self and not lovers of God and they're lovers of pleasure and just not the basic things that God would like for us to have. And when that happens, family is what takes a hit. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think, I mean, in here, like this uh, speech in general, promoting the value of sexual absence for marriage, highly fidelity mm -hmm. within marriage, the capital B blessing in marriage that I mentioned. So, I mean, those are really core things. And you're right. I mean, those are taking a huge hit. I mean, even the idea of so-called same-sex unions or mm -hmm. you shouldn't even call it marriage. I mean, how crazy is that? But yet now, you know, that's been made into law. That, by the way, that's... That needs to be taken out. But, you know, yeah. I mean, if people do what they want to do in their bedroom, that's one thing. But forcing it down people's throat, that's wrong. So, yeah, there's a lot of abominations like that. Yeah. And, again, that goes to, you know, basically how does everyone view marriage? Uh, marriage is, well, just who I want to hang out with for this time. And, of course, I can conveniently dissolve it when it's no longer convenient <laughs> down the road. You know, it could be a guy this week. It could be a woman next week. It could be my sister the year after. How You know, it's if there's consent, it's okay. Uh, but none of it is taking into account what did God want from marriage in the first place? You know, what is he always, since the very beginning till now, and, and all peoples recognize this. So it isn't like this is just an American Christian culture idea. All nations, all peoples throughout all of history have this idea that there's marriage. Now, they may have some different little spinoffs <laughs> according to their little views or something, but there's this basic idea. Like, for example, every culture has had an idea of what an adultery is. Mm -hmm. they, they have this concept, you know, even in places where a guy can have four wives or something, they still have this idea, well, you still have to be of your wives. You know, there's this idea of adultery. Why? Why does that pervade in every nation? And these are people separate from each other sometimes by and they've mm -hmm. never met, but they have these similar ideas like adultery and faithfulness in marriage and, and having children that are, that are your children and that you can, you know, pass that name on to and, and, and continue a family line. It, this isn't just, you know, a, a random religious idea. This has been a part of humanity forever. And, and now there's like this huge, how can I say? Exodus from humanity. <laughs> As well, we don't want to be, be human like no more. Yeah. It's not families that humanity will cease to exist. Yeah. And then, like we were saying, God is manifesting there in love. So that's um, God's creation, like Genesis 1, 28, right? Well, it yeah. is his creation, yeah. And, you know, he, he, per, he, creates, he creates with purpose. And everything he does is for a reason. And... When we, when men take it outside of the, the 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 view of God, and we warp it in our depravity, and the next thing you know, we <laughs> you have what we have. You know, like like you you mentioned homosexuality, and and into that, I guess there's a huge list now. You can bump into that with as many letters as you want, or something, and many right. pluses as you want. But uh, when you read in the Book of Romans, like some people think that. God's going to chastise the United States because of that sort of activity. But my argument would be that is his chastisement. The, the way the scripture is worded is that is how 
he, he turns you over to your wickedness, to your idols and what you desire. He's like, okay, then you, if that's what you want, that's your God, you can have it. And we're seeing the result of basically an entire nation that once knew Jesus Christ as Lord, walk away. What's the result? What we see now. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. These things are contentious, not just in so-called secular people or right. some people say pagans or whatever. They're contentious <laughs> within churches. They split, yeah. right? Yes. Many churches. Yes, unfortunately, there's contention. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But, uh, well, you know, um, as we're winding down, I do feel free to share any other thoughts on this. It also talked about the three-generation family, you know, and that's a beautiful thing. You can have the parents, grandchildren. Children and grandchildren, three mm -hmm. or four generations. Yeah, but um, yeah, I do want to anyway. Thank you for coming on. And if you have any closing or final thoughts about it, I'd love to hear them. No, it's, uh, the generational thing is very important. Uh, it, one one example is a, a biblical example to show you this is is uh, read through Genesis, and you it's very big on gene genealogy, but. You can look at the life of a family over multiple generations, starting with Abraham, then you go through Isaac, and then uh, Jacob, and then to Joseph, and you and you read basically this family history, and and it's an amazing thing. You have these multiple generations involved around a promise of God, which is really amazing, and and they're walking by faith, not yet seeing it, but know it's going to take place, and you see a family that uh, in all. <laughs> for all intents and purposes, has some dysfunction in it. From, from Abraham, <laughs> through Isaac, through Jacob, and Joseph, there, there's issues there. They're not this perfect, stellar family to go, we should model ourselves after this family, because it's like, nah, but not there. Or there either. Or there either. And it continues. But what you see is that even, even in that family, they're a connected family, and you see God working in that family through multiple generations. And you, and you see the younger taking care of the older. You see the respect that is given through the, through the ages. And, and, and that continuation is what builds nations. And I mean, like in nowadays, when we think of nations, we think of, well, there's this chunk of land. You draw a border here on this side, this nation, on this side, this nation. But when the right. Bible talks about nations, it's talking about peoples, like peoples, like, like the Israel is not just this little geographical thing where they fight over the borders over in the Near East somewhere, Israel is the people of Israel, his descendants, and those grafted in, right? That's the nation. Mm -hmm. So all these nations that, are, that we talk about in the scripture, it's people. It's the connections you have in families with one another. And, and the beautiful thing in the kingdom of heaven is, is you have all those nations together. You have represent, representatives from the, all nations, all languages, in the kingdom of God, it's like God saying, I want all families. I, I want I want a piece of all families here with me. Yeah. You know, and, and actually we'll be discussing in the next few parts, like one of the, uh, I would call the proposal or methods that Reverend Moon suggests for world peace is intermarrying with your enemies, which could mean another race, another mm -hmm. culture, mm -hmm. another religion. And that's beautiful, and that ultimately will bring peace, I believe. Well, the more I think the more you're around different people than yourself, they seem less like the enemy and more human. Yeah, yeah. It, it, 
I, I don't know if you could for, should force intermarriage between enemies and or whatnot. But no, it's got to be done voluntarily yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, that would create enemies. But I, I think there's there's something Out to of, that. With in love, that you of can, course. <laughs> well, yeah, but you have uh, you you tend when you have a people that are against each other and they slowly start to just hang out together and intermarry. There's there's bound to be a healing there through families. Yes, I agree. Definitely. Yeah. So that's, 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 a, um, I think that's a, a great thing. So, um, you might through that literally love your, your enemy. Well, yeah, that's you one know? way. <laughs> Depending if it's a, you know, another race or, or just, or like the Arabs and Jews or who knows? Mm -hmm. Well, I guess Jews don't intermarry technically, but I'm sure some do, right. you know, who are more whatever secular, who knows, but you well, know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's, that's Steph. Uh, I guess that's an interesting consideration if you think about it, because uh, uh, amongst the uh, Muslims, you know, the the woman cannot marry outside her faith, right? Uh, except to another Muslim man, but another woman can marry into the Islamic faith if she adopts, of course, that religion. And so the whole the whole how they craft their marriage is meant to just isolate them to themselves. Right. Hmm. And, and similar as a similar fashion in all technicality for the Jews. Now I'm not saying these are rigorously observed by either party, but theologically speaking, there's this isolation through who they can, they can marry yeah. with. Right. But it's interesting. Uh, like, yeah. In unificationism, like, uh, like I consider myself uh, Jewish Christian unificationist. Why? <laughs> My mother's Jewish by birth, so she she converted Christianity. So right. technically, or not technically, I'm Jewish, right. but yet I'm Christian. I definitely right. am Christian, and I've accepted right. Jesus Christ. But yet I'm also a unificationist. You know, I accept and we're, you know believe in Reverend Moon. So what am I trying to say? It's in in my concept or our concept. I'll say you don't necessarily have to change your faith. Like these, you might have heard of these large marriage ceremonies. Like there's one in D.C. in '97. I was there, like had a lot of people from different backgrounds. The idea wasn't that, you know, the person who wanted to participate changed their faith, whether it be Christian or even Jewish, but rather they accepted the basic tenets that were presented, similar to what we're talking about now, you know what I mean? And then mm -hmm. then they could accept that, but they keep, keep their faith, you know what I mean? Does it make yeah. any sense? Well, I mean, I think I understand what you're saying. Uh, it's just a difficulty I see in it is how do you teach your children? Which faith do they adopt, mom or dad's? And that's well, where you in the unificationist. I mean, we we do read like this, you know, the textbooks the unificationism as well mm -hmm. as I read the Bible. But um, so we would study those. But like personally, I mean, I'm just speaking from my own testimony. Like I've probably been to like 50 different churches. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, not attended regularly, although I have attended several regularly, mm -hmm. and on um, and not just like unification church, Christian churches, for instance. And and I grew up Catholic too, so that was in the past too. All that being said, I feel fairly comfortable attending them. I don't necessarily agree with every single thing, but I agree with the basic tenets of worshiping God. And in fact, as you know, not even two Christian churches who are Baptist, whatever, will agree on everything. You know what I mean? No, there's there's def there's definitely going to be uh, some variation in certain theological viewpoints. But like, say for example. If my wife is Muslim but's going to stay a Muslim, 
as somehow, you know, like this connection you're talking about, she can keep her faith and I can keep mine as a Christian. How do we raise our children? Do we raise them as Muslims or do we raise them as Christians? <laughs> raise them as unifications. Well, what I mean is like <laughs> the, the scriptures are uh, wide enough, I think, to provide an understanding for all faiths. I believe that's my belief. But you judge yourself. <laughs> you can read them yourself. Wow, we've covered a lot today. It's actually a super crucial topic. I'm so happy you could come on today. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, okay. So we'll make this available as usual on video and podcast. And do check out the Rage of the Age podcast. Uh, I know you've had some great guests. You've been talking about conference of sex education. Crucial, crucial topic. You've been yes. talking about the takeover of Marxism of teachers unions. Crucial, crucial topic. So I do recommend highly check out the Rage Age podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. Yeah, and thanks so much again for coming on today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Richard. Okay, so I'm your host, Richard Urban, coming from Historic Harper's Ferry. Do be blessed, and we will see you next time.